Hello, I'm Mike Fisher, a Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg, and this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison, and this week also Milwaukee to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 65 of Theater Forward. Um, and this week, we're going to be having a conversation with Khaled Wong, um, who is the dramaturg for our upcoming production. Actually, it'll have started by the time this podcast drops. Uh, Mom, How Did You Meet the Beatles by Adrian Kennedy. Uh, Khaled is a professor of theater uh, at Columbia College, as well as a longtime free, uh, freelance dramaturg and a director. Khaled, welcome to Theater Forward. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is your experience, but um, when I tell people I'm a dramaturg, uh, when they're asking what I do in theater, they, they just look at me funny, like they have no idea what I'm talking about, more, more, more often than I care to admit. Um, so could you maybe help our audience out by just describing as a dramaturg what you do? Yes, I get the same kind of looks all the time, actually. Um, so I am right there with you. Um, so, you know, I think first and foremost, um, dramaturgy, more specifically being a dramaturg or serving as a dramaturg, it is a broad term that is it's hard to define. I want to sort of start there. It's hard to define because there are various approaches, there are various areas or arenas in which a dramaturg may dabble in. So, for instance, you have production dramaturg, which is sort of my role with um, Forward Theater's production of Mom, How Did You Meet the Beatles? You have translation dramaturgs, you have dramaturgs who specialize in adaptations and so forth, uh, new play development, which is another area of mine. And so, so when, when, when folks say, well, what is a dramaturg? I always say, well, let me tell you what I do. Um, and so I'm someone, I work at various theaters or with various theater companies on production. And so when they say, hey, we've decided to stage this play and we would like for you to work as our dramaturg. And if I feel, you know, as if the relationship is right and the play is right, and this could be a wonderful opportunity, I say yes and move forward. And so in many ways, I become to some degree the scholarly expert on the play, on the production itself, um, areas of the production, I should say. Um, I am sort of the um, expert in residence or scholarly expert in residence on the production history, the playwright, um, the cultural context of the play, things of that nature. But that's not, but 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 the job actually sometimes is much more than that. So that's one area. Another area could be audience engagement, which we're doing a lot of that with this particular production of Adrian Kennedy's play. Um, and so that can include creating programming so the audience can have a more intimate connection with both the production and the play and so forth. Um, that also includes sometimes serving as a specialist or um, or a sort of, you know, assistant to the director, not an assistant director, but a personal assistant to the director as it revolves around the play, the production, the playwright and so forth. So in other words, there are times where I have worked on productions where before we even go into rehearsal, I'm working with the director. We're having meetings and discussions. The director may say, this is all brand new to me. I love this play, but there's something I am just really unaware of. I don't know. And so I'm going to bring you in early so we can begin to have conversations and so forth. Another area is I've, I have served as a script um, 
not evaluator, but uh, working with playwrights and developing scripts or new play development. I worked on a new musical a few years ago, and the musical was about primarily about queer folks of color and trans folks of color. And the playwright was a queer white person. And the playwright says, you know, I'm queer. Um, however, my experience is limited with regards to race and class. And so they brought me in to do some work with the script. And so I would read the script and we would have conversations. And I would say, like, you know, just, you know, for, in, for example, I said one day, this is a really beautiful moment, but this reads like Dolly Parton. And these are queer trans people in the 1970s. And we're also talking about early um, drag balls and drag houses and so forth. And I said, this is Dolly Parton. What we need is Sylvester and Patti LaBelle and Donna Summers, even with regards to the language and the lingo. So that kind of cultural context I was able to provide. Um, um, and there, I mean, you know, in dramaturgy, it's just such an expansive field and it's growing as, as, as theater continues to grow. Um, and so those are some of the areas in which I specialize in and some of the work that I do. And as and I, I got, I, I must say this as a dramaturg, I am somebody who, who often, you know, think that it's also wise when you are not a specialist in a particular area, you, and it's okay to say, you know, this production or this play or this playwright, I am just not, you know, that well knowledge in this area. And so I think that I perhaps can recommend someone else. And that's also, you know, that's very important to keep in mind, I would say. Yeah. 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 Boy, that's you, you really have covered the waterfront um, um, <laughs> with, with, with that. And it's one of the things I love about what we do is that it really is sort of um, all encompassing um, in that kind of way. You get to you get to dabble in so many areas. Right. Um, what about so with this particular production, let's talk about audience engagement in a second. But before we get to that, putting aside the audience engagement piece, how have you, uh, in terms of what you've just described, served this particular production for forward? So, you know, Adrian Kennedy is a very special playwright and Kennedy is not an easy playwright to understand. You know, I teach Adrian Kennedy's work often in various classes um, since I, over the over the various years that I've been teaching. And I've had students say, I just don't understand what's happening in this play, um, which as a teacher that says, OK, I got to figure out another way to introduce to teach this to teach this important playwright and this work. OK, but, as a, uh, but there's a similar approach to that as as a dramaturg as well. How do how do I understand the work of Adrian Kennedy? How do I understand Adrian Kennedy's mind to some degree, um, her aesthetic, right? What it is that she's attempting to do in her body of work, whether it's written in 1964 or whether it's written in 2018. Um, and I'm using that as sort of book and dates to think about her first play and her last play that she's that she's written. Um, but I, I want to start off with I think I want to make a note that uh, Baron called me, the director, Baron Kelly, called me and said, hey, and I, I know Baron from the theater world. He says, you know, there's a show we're doing, Ajahn Kennedy, um, and we're doing her play, Mom, How Did You Meet the Beatles? And I said, oh, I don't know that one. I, I, I don't, I'm, I haven't read that one. And he said, I want to change the script right now. Take a, you know, take a read and let's, let's chat in two or three days. And if you know Baron, Baron will call you back in two or three days. Like, you know, Baron's like, hey, I told you I'm calling you two days. Let's talk right now. And so, you know, when Baron calls, I'm like, turn the music down, pull over, whatever you're doing, be ready to talk. And so Baron said, and Baron, and this is when I was like, God, Baron is so smart as a director. Because he says to me, so what are your thoughts? What do you think? You know, tell me, what, what do you get from this play? And I said, perhaps this is Adrian Kennedy's most forward play 
um, for lack of a better term, easiest play to understand. Um, because it is, it delves in the realm of memory play and documentary theater. Um, and I said, but if you think about Adrian Kenning's oeuvre, her entire body of work, this play still fits into her aesthetic because it is very much a fragmented play, even in her straightforward narrative. And I said, the visual elements are so necessary. And I said, gosh, and, and I was just talking out loud in conversation over here. And I said, whoever designs this play, they got to put some pictures up of the, you know, uh, 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 the people that she's referencing, right? And the places that she's referencing and so forth. I said, this is a visual play. And I said, gosh, it's so Adrian. And Baron says, mm-hmm. yeah, I need you on this show. <laughs> I love it. And so I said it to say that, you know, it is important to know that, you know, this play falls in line with her body of work. Um, and imagery, I think, is the term that we need to use and keep in mind. This play is very much steeped in imagery, so much so that when you're listening to Adrian, you know, the, the character Adrian speak about her life and experiences during that time period, that, you know, if you know it, it it's so, it, it may resonate to the point where you just close your eyes and you can remember, smell, hear, right? Um, because it's, it's not only informative, but her, her, her recall is so deep and detailed, you know, that if you were there, you perhaps may actually remember your time there during, you know, a particular experience and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I gotta admit, this is one I didn't know either until, um, until, uh, Jen Alfalf Gray, our fabulous artistic director right. brought it to my attention as something we might, we might want to do. Um, and I, I feel like when I first read it, um, it, it felt like a complete outlier to her canon. And I think, you know, that's on me. I think I misread the play, honestly, because when you go back, um, and especially with all the work that's been done, uh, you know, the, the profiling of her and the uh, bad choice of word, but the showcasing that we're, we've had of her in the last year, you're really right. starting to see, I think, some similarities between other things. You've mentioned fragmentation. Do you want to talk a little bit more about, about that? Fragmentation in the context that, you know, there is not a strict or straight plot, um, as you see with other playwrights, um, primarily in the context of realism and so forth, right? Um, and fragmented in the sense that there are multiple moments, ideas, um, experiences converging, right, within the, the sort of umbrella narrative, um, right? So even though we're, Adrian Kenny is talking about a very particular period in her life, so much was happening right, that each of those moments can become a story in and of themselves on their own to some degree, but she converges them, right? One moment you're talking about Diana Sands, a very important actress who died too early. I, I truly believe that, um, who we know, who I, I was introduced to Diana Sands with A Raisin in the Sun, Lorraine Hansberry as the original Benita, both the Broadway as well as the film version, 1959 theater and the 1961 film version. In the same conversation, five minutes later, Adrian then is talking about Lawrence Olivier, right? Theater royalty, you know, and Diana Sands herself being theater royalty to some degree, but in the context of geographic location, you know, and also distance in terms of race, right? Distance in terms of gender, they're very far apart, even their body working so forth. Um, but all of those moments converging together, fragments, right? But, I, I, you know, your point that you made, Mike, a few seconds ago about this play not necessarily feeling as though it fits into Kennedy's larger body of work and perhaps her earlier works. 
Um, but I think it does, right? Because this play follows with with it follows to, for lack of a better term, the recipes of Kennedy's body of work in that it is very much a feminist work. It is very much a woman-centered work. It is very much a work that pulls from Adjun Kennedy's personal life. I think we're, many of us are so familiar with her early works where, you know, because these, they're fragmented plays often dramatized in this kind of, you know, you know, um, you know, haunted spaces to some degree, right? Something about Funny House of the Negro, um, using these allegorical characters, something about Rat's Mass, right? Um, the Owl Answers, you know, movie star has to be born in both black and white, right? Those earlier plays, right? But they are all centered around a particular person. And for Kennedy's body of work, that is a black woman whose experience as a woman, as a black person, right? Um, is problematized or troubled, right? I should say troubled because of colonialism, because of racism, because of sexism, right? Because of gender dynamics and so forth. Um, and so if you think about what Kennedy is doing in those earlier works, it actually makes sense that she finally tells her own story in the straight sort of manner, interview style that we get to say, oh, your experiences your personal experience in this play really sort of illuminates what you were getting at in the earlier plays, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I mean, that's just so right. And that's what I'm, when I went back to it, I'm like, oh my God, this is the young girl in Ohio State Murders who wants to be part of mainstream culture and loves it and loves Thomas Hardy and loves all that, but right. feels like she's being shut out. This is right. the, this is the, right. you know, the character in, in funny house who wants to, is fascinated by European yes. culture has this room of books and stuff, but is yes. feeling shut out. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, it, it, it's really, and that's to me, one of the things that's fascinating about her body of work is it's not in any sense and you know, push back at me if this doesn't sound right. It's not in any sense a rejection of um, of white hegemonic culture. It's a rejection of that culture's rejection of her. Yes, yes. I mean, Adrian Kennedy is like. I mean, she's a you know, you know, Adrian Kennedy in several places. She's talked about her trips to Africa with her husband, um, and then she talked about her trips to Europe with her husband. Right, really, sort of illuminating and opened up her. Our understanding of the world. And I, you know, most, many folks who have traveled, you know, if not, you know, travel around the globe, but just travel outside of the compounds of their own communities, right? So if you travel to another state to, I just came back from New Orleans, right? And I was there during the hurricane. And oh, the deal, wow. Right? My point <laughs> is that like going to New Orleans, right, opens up my own understanding of culture, of, of various cultures, um, even within the borders of the USA, right? And so Kennedy, like many other folks, is like, this, this is a beautiful world. And I just want to take part. And I want to become one of the folks who sort of inhabit the world, right? But because, again, because of colonialism, and I'm using colonialism as a direct line to racism and classism and so forth and gender dynamics, right? And, and I'm thinking about Kennedy's work specifically in naming colonialism as a direct line, um, that, you know, there's the rejection that happens. There's the resistance. There's the push out. In more specific language, there's the effects of marginalization and ultimately oppression that happens. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you, and do you think, I mean, I, I, I struggle with why, I mean, and, you know, there's been a million excuses offered. You get people, you constantly hear, I'm sure you hear it as a professor. Well, she's taught all the time in colleges. She's one of the, you know, best American playwrights, but she doesn't get produced. Um, why is that? And do you think that's changing? I mean, I feel like, again, in the last couple of years, she's being showered with even more awards and feel people are finally paying attention. What, what, what do you think that's all all about several i mean first and foremost kennedy you know as a um well i, I must say this so my my introduction to adrian kennedy was in college right we read funny house of a negro and at that time i didn't know what was happening yeah. um, in this play like many of us are introduced to that particular play um and primarily in the context of african-american theater right thinking about kennedy as an early black woman pioneer playwright so that and that that, that was my sort of my introduction but uh, I began to really take serious um, the work of Adrian Kennedy when I got to my master's program at Miami University of Ohio. My advisor and mentor was one of the first scholars to write on Adrian Kennedy. Um, he was the first to edit and publish a book on Adrian Kennedy, um, Intersecting Boundaries, the Theater of Adrian Kennedy. Um, and those, those the, the essays in there those critical essays um, that really explores Kennedy's work from a variety of ways from, you know, within the context of surrealism, German expressionism, um, black feminism. Um, and so when you, so you have like Ellen Diamond, an early pioneer of feminist theater theory. Right. Then you have a few chapters later, you have Bell Hooks, a pioneer of black feminist criticism, um, um, you know, talking about the importance of Adrian Kennedy's work. And so for me, when I think about the, 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 the sort of the genealogy or the lineage of her body of work, I continuously think about the ways in which she is addressing issues that are still prevalent. I think the way, about the ways in which she addresses issues that have happened and then shows up later. So that makes her very relevant to some degree. But we also have to think about your question. We also have to go back and recognize that the ways in which she writes doesn't fit with the mold of commercial theater. That's just what it is, right? Because there are many playwrights that we read and study who their aesthetic, their style, their writing, it doesn't fit with the mold of commercial theater. And that's a critique on commercial theater, not a critique on that particular artist, that playwright. Amen. Um, so that's, and I just want to name that, right? And as, a, as an academic, right, as a professor, I mean, that's the very thing I teach. I say, you know, let's talk about Broadway. Let's also critique Broadway. Let's talk about these plays. Let's talk about why these plays have not made it on the stage, right? Or why these, why these plays exist within, you know, off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway or in other underground theater arenas and so forth, right? And so more specifically to answer your question, I, just, I, I think it's just that folks, two things. Number one, her works, Again, they don't fit with the mode of commercial theater to some degree, but she's been quite successful as well. So I do want to acknowledge that. Think about Signature Theater. Think about um, the festival that just took place last year. Was it earlier this year or last year? I can't remember. Um, that celebrated Kennedy's body of work and also introduced some of her lesser known works and so forth. Um, and think about the academic or, ac academic arena, right? Um, you know, theater institutions within academia. Um, that study and stage Kennedy's works. Um, because also her works are just filled with so much that 
you know, it gives us a lot to talk about, number one. And, you know, I'm the kind of person that the play doesn't give me a lot to talk about. I don't need to teach it. You know, it just is what it is. Right. So if we can take this play and this play right and talk two to three weeks about this person and their works, then it serves its purpose to some degree as well. Right. And also recognizing how Adrian Kennedy and her body work, Adrian Kennedy as a person, but Adrian Kennedy's work, which can stand alone. Right. Um, it crosses disciplinary bounds. Right. So we can talk about Adrian Kennedy from a feminist study standpoint, gender study standpoint, African-American study standpoint, African diaspora standpoint, data performance studies standpoint, right? And so she sort of traverses these various terrains. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why she is um, highly regarded within academia. Well, and let's not forget, and you already said it, haunted standpoint too. I mean, there's like a mystery. Yeah. She's clearly a sucker for like classic Hollywood. Um, I mean, I know this oh, is yeah. documented uh, films and 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 for mysteries and for romance. I mean, she's so romantic. That's that's yeah. the part that appeals to, to to me. I mean, it's like, oh my god, we've all been there in different right. ways. And I don't mean that as an appropriative gesture as a, as a cisgender white male, but <laughs> you know, you 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 understand what it means to be in a situation where you're just so like you said it alive to the world and all that's right. beautiful in the world. And then somebody just steps on your puppy, you know, it completely right. trashes your idea of what the world should be. And that's just heartrending for anybody. And she right. really is universal. I think in that way. Right. What's interesting is like, she, I was looking at her, 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 um, semi autobiographical semi memoir, like book, um, people who led to my plays. And she talks about, um, and, and, and what I find interesting is that that book is written in a very kind of fragmented way as well. But, and she talked about like growing up with her family and she talked about spiritual that she was listening to. And I was like, this is really interesting to think about Adrian Kennedy, this playwright whose mind is so brilliant that, you know, like many of us, she grew up singing spirituals that many of us know, you know, within the African-American context, right? So she's very much just like the average person. And I think that her works illuminate that, right? It's particularly thinking about mom, how did you meet the Beatles, where she's fascinated with certain people, or she talks about not having money, right? And like, I only got $500. This has got to last. I got to get this scholarship or this, this prize, this, this Guggenheim prize, because if I don't, how are we going to make it? Oh, but I am getting money from my ex-husband who's sending, you know, money once a month, right? Like very much in the sense that she's like an everyday person that you can relate to as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about the, in terms of the relating her to the, the world and let's, the, Madison sometimes thinks it's the world, but for purposes of the next question, it is. Relating her to our Madison audience and audience engagement, what are some of the things that you've been working on um, that are gonna help bring that to, to reality? So I have a couple of things. Well, for this podcast is one of them, right? Um, so make sure we name that. Um, and then there's a couple of things lined up. So next week I'm scheduled to have a conversation with Adrian Kennedy's son, Adam Kennedy, who I want to make sure we name is a co-author in this play. He's a co-playwright with Adrian Kennedy um, in this play. But this is also Adam's second play that he co-wrote with his mother, Adrian. The first one was Sleep Deprivation Chamber, which chronicles his experience um, and her experience as well as his mother with police brutality, um, right? Again, thinking about how Adrian Kennedy and also her son, Adam, they are, you know, dealing with topics that are not necessarily new, but that sort of just continues to travel throughout time, right? From 
that point on in his life, early in his life, to where we are now. These topics are not new. And so in many ways, we think about like, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I teach hashtag Black Lives Matter, um, the Black Lives Matter movement in theater, right? How playwrights have taken up these issues within their works. The Adjunct Kennedy very much fits within that rubric with some of her own works, but also specifically with um, the Sleep Deprivation Chamber play, right? Um, and so forth. So I just want to make sure we acknowledge that Adjunct Kennedy is, uh, you know, co-playwright with Adjunct in those, those plays. Um, but so in addition to my conversation with Adam Kennedy um, happening next week, I'm also hosting three different uh, post-show discussions. The first one is Adjunct Kennedy and Black Women Playwrights. And that's going to be with um, several Black women scholars who specialize in African-American theater and performance. So that includes Sandra Adele, Adonna Forsgren. Um, and then there's the second panel that's going to be popular culture in the 1960s. And that's going to be with Donald Gagnon and Kristen Mandrakia. Uh, and they're going to talk about everything from the Beatles to race politics to the changing of the times in the 1960s. And then the third panel is going to be, I'm really, really excited about this panel. It's going to be uh, I think writing ourselves into history, black women and autobiograph autobiographical writing. Um, and that's going to be with all Miami, Artisha Green and Joanne Braxton, two uh, feminist scholars whose work looked at the ways in which women use theater and writing specifically um, to insert their lives into the larger canon of literature. Uh, and so thinking about how Adrian Kennedy does that with this play. Yeah. Oh so God, those are some of the things that are coming up. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I'm really it's, excited. Yeah, this is this is this is just this is just great. And on your last point, I want to call the audience's attention to another thing, which you've been too modest to mention, which is your fabulous program note, which you can also find at Madison uh, 365. Yeah. Um, and you know, you talk about in terms of your last panel. I, this quote has stuck with me. I even wrote it down about that this play represents, as does so much of her work, a coming to consciousness of self in a world that does not treasure, nurture, or protect Black women. Right. Uh, and end quote. And it's just really there. I'm guessing in at least that third of the three panels you mentioned. Yes, that pan that quote actually is pulled from Joanne Braxton's article. She she's on the third panel. It's pulled from her article. Um, I think it's something like Black women, literature, and autobiographical writing. Um, and Joanne Braxton is a specialist in, uh, she's a professor emeritus um, at William & Mary. Um, and she's, she, her specialization is the ways in which Black women use uh, 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 literature and other forms of production that could be music and art and so forth to write their lives. Um, and, you know, this, and I think it's important to note, that this is something we're going to talk about on that panel, that, you know, the play, Mom, How Did You Meet the Beatles? It reads easy, right? You read, you're like, oh, this is a really easy play. But then you think about, you know, what's missing from the page that pops up onto the stage. Um, and when you see the play and you see the ways in which, you know, Marty and Baron are able to nuance those moments that are perhaps, you know, hurtful, um, those vulnerable moments that Adrian experiences, you see something very different, right? Um, and you get an, um, not necessarily different, but you get a deeper, more critical perspective of Adrian Kennedy's experience 
especially as an early playwright, to use her own words, in search of fame and fortune. You know, and that I think is really important when you think about Black women and the ways in which they use art, specific, specifically some form of literature to write themselves into the canon. Well, yeah. more specifically into history, I would say, yeah. Well, and you're reminding me, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Sleep Deprivation Chamber. I mean, that's another one I could have mentioned with Ohio State Murders, because there's one where you have the cultural, on the one hand, you got this weird uh, cultural, not weird, but I mean, it's just the rehearsals for a play going on in one space, which right. seems like this traditional mainstream culture, just, you know, nice little college rehearsal. And then underneath it, to your point, the things that are missing, the things that are not spoken, the things that erupt. Um, and and make us confront all the all the stuff that we tend to brush to the side. Yeah. Um, well, what are you? No brushing to the side of Adrian Kennedy uh, with with you involved in this production, and I'm so grateful f f for that. As we wrap up, are there are there things that you're hoping, Colin, from having worked on this play, from having loved this playwright and taught her, that you're hoping our audiences will take away from their experience with this play and with the things around the play. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, you know, I will say this. Baron and I talked about this early on. Adrian Kennedy started writing in the early 60s with her first play, 1964, produced um, by Edward Albee um, in New York. Um, that was Funny House of a Negro. Many of the playwrights that were writing around that time are no longer with us. That includes Amiri Baraka, at that time, Leroy Jones. That includes Edward Albee. That includes some of the other pioneers and theater makers, not just simply playwrights, but in from Ellen Stewart at La Mama to, um, I'm thinking about Judith uh, Molina. Um, uh, gosh, forgot her husband's name, her partner's name, um, The Living Theater. Um, many of those folks, right? They're just no longer with us. You know, they're, they were up in age and they're dying. And Adam Kinney's up in age. But the fact that she's still writing, right? Like her most recent play, 2018, um, I think it was, he brought her home in a box, right? In all of the works that exist, you know, in between. And the fact that the theater world is still celebrating her as a living playwright, and so my student, oftentimes when I teach them, they think of these playwrights as, you know, like for them, there's no distance between them and Shakespeare, right? It's like they're all in the same time zone, <laughs> right? Um, but I'm like, y'all, she's still living. Like her son, you can follow him on social media and her grandson and his writings about her. And more, more emphatically, you can actually read the works that she's just written in which she's responding to what's happening in the world today during your lifetime, right? And so I think it's just, it's a treasure and a treat that we have this pioneer. Because oftentimes we think about pioneer, we think about legacy, we think about innovators, but most of them they're dead and they're gone. But we have this, this, this pioneer, this innovator, and she's still with us. And the fact that we get to celebrate her while also taking in the works that she's given us. I think that is amazing. Um, that's, I think that's what I want folks to walk away with. I, I, as a historian, right? I'm a trained historian, um, theater historian specifically. And, and I think about dates a lot. I don't know dates, but I think about them a lot. And I'm always like, gosh, 1964 was such a long time ago in terms of my own life. But 2018 
that's when I started here at Columbia, right? And the fact that she's still putting pen to paper, I think that is amazing. And that's what I want the folks to sort of walk away with. Yeah. You've just given me goosebumps. This is why I love dramaturgs who really do care about our history, our theater history, and making it live and making it real. And you've certainly done that today, and you've been doing that in this production. Thank you so much for joining us, Khaled. Thank you for having me. That's going to be it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast, as always, is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook uh, and Twitter at Theater Forward, as always, spelled with an E-R. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And be sure, of course, to leave us a stellar review. My guest performance today warrants it, people. We are grateful to have you listening and we'll be back soon with another Theater Forward conversation.